if there's any readers of Old, Old Testament wisdom literature out there, you know, Ecclesiastes 11 talks about if a tree falls to the north or if it falls to the south, like where it falls is where it falls. And there was a thinker back in the 1600s named Matthew Henry who wrote about that. And he said, what that means is we're all called to do something of a great value wherever it is that we are. Right. Hey everyone, welcome to Here for the Health of It podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Randy. We're here with Dr. Tom, and we are Columbia's hottest and fastest growing podcast. And thanks for tuning in. All of you guys are sharing. We're, we were in the top, I think, top 2% of the most shared podcasts in our category. We make up statistics. Does that sound right? Yeah. Adjectives <laughs> and statistics, we're going to make that, up. Oh, no, it's 98% content, yeah. but something like that. But um, we know you guys are all sharing the message out there. So we appreciate that. If you want to check out our um, Instagram here for the here for the health of it. It's H F T H O I podcast on Instagram, and we've got all our kind of behind the scenes stuff and clips on there as well. Uh, so we got a special guest today. His name's Franklin McGuire. Um, he's a manager partner partner at Digital Brands, which is a digital marketing digital marketing oh, can't speak digital marketing agency with a focus on executive visibility. And I told you wrong, Randy. It's Heritage Brands. Oh, Heritage Sorry. Brands. <laughs> um, all right. The more we say it, the better, though. That's All right, great. heritage, heritage brands, heritage, heritage. Everybody say. Uh, and I'm <laughs> assuming executive visibility means you're in like the corporate world more than like building someone's personal page. Yeah, yeah. That's um. So executive visibility. It's a phrase we've been using a lot over the last few months. You know, it used to be a lot of people want to talk about kind of personal branding. That always feels sort of flat to me. Right. You know, it, it, it makes me think of a guru. That's the phrase we use for somebody that's sort of a self-anointed expert, right? Yep. So you guys are credentialed, um, obviously, in an academic and, and medical fashion. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get credentialed. Some people are just, you know, experts through the experiences that they've had. You know, hey, I've been a plumber for 20 years, and I know exactly how to do this, or whatever it is. So. You know, we think personal branding brings up those images of the self-appointed, I'm a guru, I'm going to call myself an expert, and maybe someday I'll get there. And hey, fake it till you make it. There's yeah, always yeah. some of that. That's okay. I think that's, that's what, what I'm doing thing. right now. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of that, and it, it's weird on social media. Because I'll talk to some people who really buy into the social media world, and they're mm. like, oh, this person said this. I'm like, I actually, I know that person and they do not do any of the things that they're saying. Yeah. Or I know that that's not their house that they're standing in front of. Or conversely, you know, this person said this and I'm going to build my whole next year around it. And you're right. like, well, who is that person? And, are, you know, why do you care yeah. that they said that? You know, yep. so um, long-winded way of saying when we think executive visibility, we're thinking business leaders, public figures, people that in general, typically already have something that they've done. They've got a story that they want to tell, a story that they want to share, um, and they need help figuring out how better to do that. So most of our work ends up being actually this, so podcasting, uh, thought leadership, LinkedIn work, cool. um, and actually in the new year, book publishing as well. So, cool. um, yeah, it's an interesting little niche, but that's – that's what we say we do. We help leaders and experts improve their executive visibility through podcasting, thought leadership, and book publishing. And and so I kind of got to just comment on this. So a guru in an industry like yours should have two buttons undone on their top button. Ooh. Oh, yeah, at least two. I, yeah. to, I'm a big two-button, maybe three-button guy, Ooh. and Tom likes to go right to I the top. I usually go to the top. This sh I'm just getting too big. I can't button this <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, it's like a choking wing to. happen over there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, three buttons is guru, two buttons is, oh, let's let's get a beer. Yeah. I'm talking to this guy. You know? More approachable. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Um, so tell us about the names. Well, first, Franklin, and then, and then Heritage. Um does anybody call you Frank? Um, you know, they do. My grandfather's name was Frank, so okay. he was Frank McGuire. So I always sort of felt like he had kind of a corner on that market, like that's his name, that's him. Um, and then he passed away, and then my wife and I had our first baby, a boy, and so we named him Frank. So there's just sort of this, you someone never. else has always kind of claimed that territory. Ah. But that said, a lot of people do call me Frank, yeah. and I... 
I will answer to it. Nice, because I have mine's my real name's Thomas or mm. Thomas, depending on how if you want to pronounce the H. Thomas, I think we got to. That's what I was wondering. Should I bring the whole name into play? Tomas. Tomas is great too, right? <laughs> when we when we get into the branding side of it, I got to figure out if I want what I want to do. With oh, that. there you go. Actually, it is funny. I um I have started professionally to utilize the junior in my name, so really? I I don't. You know, run around, hey, I'm Franklin McGuire Jr., but there's a thought leader I follow. You guys might find this guy interesting. His name is David C. Baker. Uh, he's from Nashville, actually. So uh, there you go, Brett. Um, but he's based in Nashville, and he's got a book called The Business of Expertise, and it's brilliant. Red cover book, get on Amazon. Sweet. Um, he's probably in his 60s, if I had to guess, and he's been working to help owners primarily of creative agencies for years to clarify their positioning and grow their businesses through that. Um, so they've got a podcast called Two Bobs, um, very highly ranked in its category. It's been just a huge thing that I've you know been really deep in for the last probably 18 months or so. <clears throat> but he goes by David C. Baker professionally, and it was for SEO reasons. Not so, Dave Baker. Right, right. David yeah, yeah. C. Baker sounds great. Well, and it's not even about how it sounds, right? So if you Google David Baker, and I did that early on when I was like, oh, I want to oh. read that thing he said. I mean, it's just a, a wasteland of David Baker's. Yeah, you yeah. Know, close cousin to John Smith, right? Right. But if you always, always, always have everybody calling you David C. Baker, David C. Baker, David C. Baker, you know, most people are Googling David C. Baker, and he just owns that whole real estate yeah, on Google. Huh. So you'd have to talk to Johnny in our office. He's an actual SEO expert. I, I know just enough to not even be dangerous, but just to sort of wander around with my hands out in the dark, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but Johnny studied that for years, uh, used to do it as a DOD contractor for the Army, and he's helped me learn a lot about it. So we yeah. kind of made the decision that Franklin McGuire, Franklin McGuire Jr. So that is an initial part of trying to build gotcha. that executive visibility is just, um, you know, Tom Stetson, how does that rank and compare availability-wise right. and just digital real estate to Thomas Stetson or Tom Stetson Jr. if you've right. got a suffix. Or Thomas or J. Stetson. Thomas J. Stetson, Tom J. Stetson, TJ Stetson. Kind of, you know, yeah. there's there's decisions to be made on the front end, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. And then how about the name Heritage? How'd you come up with that? Is there any anything behind? Well, it was pretty funny because several months in on this um, several years ago when it was still pretty early on. I bumped into a friend from elementary school. I grew up in Lexington across the river. Nice. And um, I had gone to a little school called Heritage Christian Academy. And my friend said, so that's kind of weird. You named your company after our elementary school. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, I hadn't even thought about that. So uh, the real answer may be some creepy Oedipal thing buried deep in the brain. Um, yeah. But the reason I thought I was naming it that um, in some of my MBA marketing classes, we talked about what it, a concept of a heritage brand is. So lowercase h, lowercase b, heritage brand. Some people don't know that, but in the marketing world, heritage brands are a thing. Oh, so, uh -huh. um, uh, you know, think of they're typically more luxurious, luxury-oriented brands, um, consumer-facing, B2C. They're very old, though. That's sort of, they have this very deep brand equity because of the length of time that they've been in their marketplace. Uh, you might think about a um, – actually, I wrote an article about this on, on LinkedIn a few months ago, so I should be remembering this better. But Beretta is a 527-year-old company, I think. Huh. You know, Beretta markets, and they should, but they don't necessarily need to. Nobody's wondering if Beretta knows how to make a gun because back in 1587, somebody in Venice said, we're going to start doing that, and then they just never stopped. Right. So the brand equity from the amount of time that you've been in the market, that's typically the hallmark of a heritage brand. Stateside, you might think about like a L.L. Uh, Bean or a Filson right. on the West Coast. Uh, in Europe, you might think about Hermes, Rolex, Land Rover, Barber, Burberry, brands like that. So I just really cottoned on to that concept yeah. in school. I thought, man, that is really cool. This idea that because of the length of time that you've been in the marketplace, you've just developed this incredible brand equity. Uh, but looking at you guys, looking at me, I mean, you know, we're all pretty young and we're just kind of on the front end of trying to get things done. There's no way I can go back in time 500 years ago and start Right. whatever it is that I want to grow, right? Like you guys started your chiropractic practice when you started it. And yep. so we're all trying to figure out what are those ways to accelerate the growth of my brand equity. 
Um, you know, we can try to cheat this system, and people do that. Those are the three-button guru guys, right? Um, so we're not really interested in cheating the system at Heritage Brands, but we are interested in saying, what's the roadmap? Yeah. You know, what, 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 what playbook am I reading off of? How can I learn what some of those different levers are that I might pull to deepen my brand equity more quickly than if I just didn't pay any attention to it? Nice. That's good. And so someone's looking for a digital <clears throat> advertising company. Because we've been, I would say that probably a lot of business owners have been burned in the past. Oh, yeah. And myself included, where they promise the moon. Or you'll just take meetings and they promise the moon. Mm-hmm. And you kind of know it's not going to go anywhere, but you don't really know. And then um, it all kind of goes sideways a couple months in. But I'm curious then, what are the things that someone should look for in a digital marketing company that would make them not use them? Oh, I'm really glad you asked that question because I myself have been personally burned by probably six, I think is what the latest count is up to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just got to be honest with you guys. I, I hate marketing. I just don't like it. Uh, I don't think of us as a marketing company. Um, I started Heritage Brands out of a need because I owned an e-commerce brand that was growing very quickly and aggressively. Um, I was actually getting my JD MBA here at Carolina at the time, um, was doing great, top 10% of my class. Um, I did well in undergrad. I've always enjoyed school. Um, but I had started a vacation rentals company in Charleston between undergrad and grad school. And when I moved up here to date my now wife, you know, I'm, I'm in school and I'm thinking, this is just, this is odd. You know, I, I don't think this is bad that I'm in school. My old roommate from the Citadel, he and I had, you know, tied for class rank and he went off to Harvard Law. So he's like, Franklin, you're going to love it. Law school's awesome, you know. Um, but I'm there and I'm thinking, you know, I used to work really hard down in Charleston and I made a lot of money through that really hard work. Now I'm working really hard and I'm not even just not making any money. I'm actually (laughs) negatively paying money for the privilege of busting my ass in contracts class. Right. And I just thought this something about this calculus feels off, you know, and and it was, it was like a lot of cognitive dissonance for me. It was very frustrating. Um, And we can go more into that. I mean, again, you guys are credentialed experts with medical degrees, uh, I'm actually, my credits at the law school expire in a few months, so I'm going back next year to finish because I got one semester left. I'm like that guy that swam from the burning <laughs> ship, almost got to the island, was like, now nah, I'm going to turn around. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the journey. I'm going to get to the beach. Um, so I do think there is massively a role for higher education, for graduate study. Um, I would argue that a lot of people jump into it too quickly. It's, it's a, you know, oh, I don't want to go into real life yet, so let me just go do this. And I don't really know how dollars work. I don't know what debt is, so I'll do that. Uh, but I digress. So I started an e-commerce brand from the front row of Professor McWilliams' contracts class. And, um, you know, it came out of my experiences in the Army. I thought, you know, there's all these brands out there. We've all seen them, you know, Grunt-style, Nine-Line, these very in-your-face kind of, I'm an American, rah, yeah, you yeah. know? Yep. And don't get me wrong, I am as patriotic as they come. I love this country. Um, I can almost get emotional about my love for this country. I mean, you guys are a, a beautiful example of what the free market and free individual will and the opportunity to pursue passions, interests, right. own a piece of land that you have deed and title to, um, own the IP behind your firm, what you're building, what you're growing, uh, pull in the talents of other people to help you do that. I mean, these are incredible things. Uh, and as somebody who's traveled all over the world, lived all over the world different times in my life, that's just not normal. It's just not right. common, Right. Um, so I thought, where's the military and patriotic brand that speaks to something even deeper, you know, that speaks to some of what we feel when we watch Band of Brothers, something that we feel when we think about our granddads and great granddads that stormed the beaches in Normandy, or for me, my great uncle who stormed the beaches in Normandy. Um, or Will Smith and Independence Day. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So for me, I, I, I thought, I just, you know, I, I love going to the gym. I don't want to wear that stuff, but I, I, I would love to subtly, you know, love the fact that I'm in this nation's military. I wear the uniform, but I don't want to do it in this, like, ridiculous way, right? Um, subtlety is key. So that's where civvy supply came from. Civvy meaning civilian clothes, the civvies that we wear, supply, kind of referring to, you know, where you go to get all your gear. Um, and that brand just started to grow, and, and it was going gangbusters and there I was trying to run a warehouse and trying to run this team and also trying to make it back in time for class and you know it's just crazy 
Um, so I was outsourcing as much as I could. Uh, and this is my way of bringing it back around to your question, Randy. I was outsourcing as much as I could. I thought, you know, marketing, I, th I think that's a thing. That's probably important. Uh, and specifically social media. You know, we were right. getting more orders from social media. I had guys who were on their 12th and 13th order with us who had just found us through Instagram. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I mentioned Filson earlier and uh, their creative director, Tom Kartsadis, former creative director of Ralph Lauren. Um, I'm excuse me, Tom, Tom Kartsadis is the owner of the brand, creative director. Um, it's a different guy whose name I'll think of in a second, but he found us on Instagram, bought some stuff, had it sent to the Filson headquarters. I was like, dude, this is awesome. That's this is wild. working. Uh, but I was spending three and four hours a day on Instagram to do what I thought right looked like. And I thought, there's got to be somebody I can outsource this to. Um, so that led to this just pain point. I talked to all my friends in e-com, all of whom had much bigger businesses than me. And they said, man, that's a huge pain point for us, too. Let us know if you find somebody we'd love to hire them, too. So a guy like me, you know, I only hear that so many times before I'm like, man, there's another business in right. there. Um, so that was sort of the, the genesis of what became Heritage Brands. And we focused very extensively on e-commerce, social media, influencer marketing. Um, and there's a story of how it's grown into the executive visibility side. But I just trying to give you the whole context here of, of my answer to your question about what should a local business look for when they're thinking about marketing Guys, I just think you got to be so careful. I mean, the listeners of this show, I love what y'all are doing with Here for the Health of It. I think it's awesome. The listeners of this show, the kind of budgets that folks in this town have, I mean, just be so careful about hiring, quote unquote, marketing companies or marketing agencies. Right. You know, our listeners may have heard of the PESO model, P-E-S-O. When you're thinking about media and content, think of it under those four buckets. So paid, earned, shared or social, I've seen it both ways, or owned. Um, and I believe that we're entering the golden age of owned media on owned channels. That's exactly what we're doing right now. You guys own this media podcasting. You own the channel of Here for the Health of It. Doesn't cost you anything to do it. I mean, it does cost something, right? These are nice mics. This is a nice recording board, a nice studio. You've got an employee here He's helping out. He's got a nice out. hat. He's got a very nice hat. <laughs> I, I was digging the uh, PlayStation <laughs> sweatshirt, sweater, actually. Yeah, yeah that's a pretty sweater. good Christmas sweater. I like that. Um, so, you know, owned media on owned channels is so important, right? And so a lot of that, you know, you need to make investments. You need to know where to point the cannons. But Entering into a long-term relationship with somebody that promises you, you know, X ROAS right. on your ad spend, or we're going to do these amazing things and hit this many followers and yada, yada, yada. No one has more passion about their business than the business owner. Sometimes they need some help on the front end. Like there are people better than you at this thing. But if you can kind of figure it out, I know there's a book right under my seat. You guys are self-educating on it. That's awesome. Just do that, right? Like don't spend those marketing dollars. I don't know. I'm... I'm just kind of sour on it because I've been burned. I lost 35 grand on Facebook ads the month of August 2018 or 2019. And uh, I've got it on a sticky note in my office. Yeah. And I'm just like, never again, man. You know? All right. Well, that's what we were trying to figure out. Is like, what even, even looking at social media, are there certain statistics or things that click rates or. Um, ad spends that should turn into we we didn't even or we I would say the average local business just doesn't even know how to measure something that these that people are promising mm -hmm. as well, um, which is I think that's the frustration we got. It would it, it seemed like it was doing well month one month two, but then as you started to learn what they were doing, it was like well nothing's changed and mm. and more you know the 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 formula I feel like didn't change during the dip in the promise that these companies would give. So I think, you know, speaking a little bit to that, um, do you think people should, should more hire internally and just produce a ton of content, like the Gary V kind of model where mm -hmm. it's like, just bring the people close into your business that live it, breathe it, feel it, and just pump out a ton of video and photos um, that way? That's a, that's a good question. I, I think it, it varies. I'd probably have a different answer depending on what type of business person asked me. Um, to speak to a couple of the categories that, that are very near and dear to all of us, I mean, you know, I think for you guys, um, education, like prospect education is key um, and prospect awareness. And, and so put that on the shelf for one second. We'll get to that in a second. 
I've spoken a lot about executive visibility, um, expertise, the business of expertise, that David C. Baker book. Um, I think for anybody that's in like a professional services lane, if you are um, selling based on reputation, based on uh, expertise, based on being a credentialed expert in something, there's a lot kind of under that category that we could dig into. But I think it's about positioning and I think it's about showing yourself to be that expert. It's making visible what already the reality is and right. just showing yourself to be that expert. Um, for you guys, you do trade off reputation for sure and you do trade off expertise. Some of that expertise doesn't need to be over-established, right? I was at the dentist last week and I did not demand to see his dental license <laughs> when I sat in the chair. Right. You know, it's just like, I actually have absolutely no idea. This guy could be uh, catch me if you can. You know, for all I know, I have no idea. <laughs> Why didn't I concur? If <laughs> you guys have seen that movie, um, but so I, I think for you guys, that's a little bit less of a thing. Um, but if I owned a practice like this, you know, I would be thinking about, um, you know, we're talking about chi chiropractic. What do you say? Chiropractory? Chiropractic? Chiropractic. Chiropractic. Yeah. So. We're talking about chiropractic, and you know, just before we got on the show, I was explaining to you guys how you know I myself am, am a believer in chiropractic care. It's it's been an important part of my wife and I's wellness plan. Um, our infant baby got adjusted within a week of being born, and cool. he slept like I was about to say like a baby. That doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I he was sleeping that. through the night at two weeks. You know, so we got him on a schedule. We got him adjusted, cool. and, and we were fortunate, obviously. But I think it all was connected. Um, so. For, for a business like y'all, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about who are all those people out there that don't know the benefits of the care um, and how can we create the educational content that they'll find and sort of start to self-educate. Right. So we all know about like that customer journey um, and, and we're working on a project right now with some guys in Idaho actually. So we had a two-hour strategy call with them yesterday. We're working on a strategic roadmap for them right now, and they created a supplement company that they took from zero to a $200 million exit in four years. Wow. I mean, the, the story is just incredible. Um, and it's especially incredible because these guys have no ego. I mean, they just are the most humble. Um, honestly, like, it, it feels like such a blessing just to get to talk to them and hear their story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I asked him, I said, well, how in the world did you guys do this? Like zero to 200 mil in, in four years. That's unbelievable. And we had the, their VP of marketing, their CMO on the call. He said, you know, in the beginning, we just focused on educating people. It was, it was um, supplements for gut health. And he just said, you know, there was many stages of our customer journey. Right. But like at the top of that funnel, we just focused on being teachers, on educating and on showing our expertise that way. And then people, as they became aware of the problem and mapped it to their own gut issues or health issues, if they self-identified as like, oh, yeah, I think, I think that's me, then they went into the funnel in different places and were served different yeah, things along that. That's good. Um, but at the very, very top, I think, you know, it's, it's deep in human nature to want to tell stories. We've been doing that, you know, for at least 20,000 years with our, with our words orally, right? We've been writing for the last few hundred of that. Um, so what are the stories that, that you ought to tell? You know, what's something that you can teach to somebody else? Um, and that's, ah, this is a little bit of a, of a, of a reach, but I, I keep thinking of Randy's question about, you know, local marketing companies and kind of this like, yeah, feeling that I have around them. I think that's what's frustrating is so many of them, you know, if you look at them and you're just honest with yourself, they're small businesses, they're local businesses, you know, these guys and gals are just trying to get their kids through school and pay the car payment, whatever right. else. They um, they see a, a lead, they see a prospect and they think, oh my God, I have this opportunity to sell them on this like monthly retainer. It's amazing. I, I got to get this. Right. Um, what we've done in our business is, you know, in except outside of like six figure huge deals, you know, we just do like one-off projects to get people set for success. Um, the focus is to teach someone to fish because I could fish for somebody all day long, but, you know, after a few months, you know, the value starts to kind of get clouded by the price and the retainer invoice starts to feel like a bill. And you kind of get to that point that you mentioned, yeah, Tom, of like yeah. we're four or five months in and I'm kind of like, what's going on right. here? So I'm much bigger on teaching people to fish 
and just focusing on, you know, if somebody has an agency they're running and they think they're really good at something and they've spent years studying it and, and just going a thousand miles deep in this one inch wide thing, teach it, you know, to the extent that you can just teach it. I think that's the most honest way um, for any local business to show that they're not scared of that, if that makes any level of sense. And then where would you tell them to start? Because there's all kinds of different educational programs out there. And you can go, in, in a business like ours, we could go based on just like health education, which most people have no clue. They, you know, they go to their doctor, they ask them what to do, they do what the doctor says, and they haven't read books on it, they haven't learned it, they haven't spent time on it. But then there's the other side about, let's say, how the actual adjustment works or how our rehab works or if we have other things or tools, how those things work. And it, and I feel like sometimes it gets clouded in, are you educating about the service? Or are you educating about the body? Or are you educating about health? And how do you, what's the conversation to figure out which one you educate on? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. I think of, I've got this image in my head, if you guys can kind of envision this with me, it's of three interlocking rings. So it's, it's sort of the Venn diagram with that yeah. extra circle right underneath it. Um, and I think that certainly for you guys, but for any local business owner who might be listening to this or somebody listening to this who might want to start their own business. Like, again, we live in such a vibrant uh, market economy. I love hearing those stories of people saying, you know, I was doing this job for a while and I felt like I saw an opportunity to do it better than I started my own business. Um, for anybody that's listening, thinking about that, I think, you know, you need to think about three things and I'll say the three and then we'll unpack them. So it's the value of your time. Um, it's your passion, and then it's um, your customers, whoever those prospects are. So unpacking that a little bit, you need to think about how, what's my time worth and what am I willing to buy versus build? Like, you know, if we've read stuff about software companies or tech startups, it's always this question, do we build or do we buy it? Um, and, you know, if you... I mean, man, I came in here kind of in a, in a bad mood. You guys have got me feeling better again. But I went to Panera freaking bread in the Vista <laughs> to grab a quote-unquote quick lunch. And uh, I ordered it at noon on the app. It said it'll be ready at 12.10. So I left my office on Laurel Street a few minutes before it was supposed to be ready. Uh, I roll in at 12.13. I'm thinking, well, my sandwich will be a little bit cold, but that's all right. And then I did not get that sandwich in hand until 12.45. I mean, oh. I stood there in that little sweaty hallway oh. in the back, you know, just for over half an hour. And I thought, you know, with what I bill my time at, this 30 minutes, like, this was right. a, you know, very expensive sandwich, yes. you know. Um, and that's all fine. They were busy. It's the holidays. I'm, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist. I can only get mad about stuff for about three seconds and I just forget about it. So no big deal. But... I just say that to illustrate when you're thinking about building something or buying it, self-educating it and getting some kind of a course versus maybe getting a coach or getting an agency. Like you got to be thinking about that value of your time, right? Um, if you make, what is it, $250,000 a year, your time is worth uh, $300 an hour if you work 40 hours a week. I can't quite remember the math, but any of us can grab the back of an envelope and do that math. Um, so just be razor sharp when you're thinking about, you know, what, where should I invest my efforts? Right. You know, should I start a podcast? Right. Tom and Randy are doing it. Seems really cool. Yeah. Seems awesome. Uh, or should I start writing more? Should I think about publishing that book? Should I think about, um, you know, creating that Instagram channel? Well, how long is it going to take? What's the value of your time? Does it make sense for you to do it? Does it make sense for someone else to do it that you're paying? Or does it just not make sense to do that? But that's just one of our circles, right? So we right. need to think about, I'm actually going to jump to the third one, customers. Because if you decide, you know what, I think, um, I think writing that book is what I should do. I think that's definitely where I should invest my time. I could see it working for you guys, right? Because it's, right. it's in American culture, a book is the ultimate sort of signaler of expertise. You say, well, I actually wrote the book on it, right? Or at least yeah. a book on it. So a book is very powerful for many people. But if your business is power washing and you've got this power washing empire, um, maybe we write a book about growing a power washing empire, right. but you're not going to write a book thinking that it's going to get you more power washing customers, yeah. right? And the amount of time and then the mismatch between your prospect and what you're doing, that's just a total whiff, total miss. 
So we need to be thinking about value of time. We need to be thinking about prospects. Who are my prospects? Where do they live? What kind of media do they consume? Um, and then we need to be thinking about that third thing, which is passion. So, you know, we, we produce podcasts for a handful of our clients. It, it's a lot of work, right? So on some level, you guys would not be doing this if you didn't think it was really cool to just talk to local business owners and to do it in this medium and in this fashion. Um, so people under-index all the time on passion when they're trying to sit down and map out the perfect marketing plan. What are you super interested in? That's just so important. If you're a financial advisor and um, you know you you love LinkedIn, uh, but you're trying to start a podcast and you don't know how to do audio engineering, like you're you're missing. You know, let, let's let's focus on maybe long form copywriting, educating people on LinkedIn, maybe creating a dozen evergreen articles that you can point prospects to that that last for years and years and years. Right? Um, if you are you know, what's another good example? Um, I've got a friend who is a pretty big time lobbyist. He and I are starting a podcast together in the new year, um, just about a passion project. We just love leadership. We found yeah. it so interesting. He's an army buddy of mine, fellow Citadel grad, um, and we're just going to interview leaders. And that's that's all that we want to do. Um, so we have that passion to do it. Uh, he's not very interested in LinkedIn. I've told him for years, like, hey, that could be a really cool way for you to grow your business. Uh, but he loves Twitter and he loves barbecue. And believe it or not, like that channel for him, because he loves it, it's a way to connect. It's a way to stay yeah. top of mind. It's a way to stay present. So just keep those three rings in mind, like value of your time, passion, and then customers and prospects. you got to find that kind of magic right in the middle of that. Yeah, I think typically we we as business owners jump to like, let's just pay for that instead of really taking it through that filter of like, all right, what do we, what do we want to spend our time on? I think that's, that's an excellent point. Um, and we look to outsource it probably too quickly maybe. And just cause we don't want to develop the skill set. And I don't want to say, I don't want to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but, but there is a, there is a give and take there on that. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, we are spending an hour together here. That's two hours of two chiropractic doctors' time, how many patients could have been seen, what right. kind of revenue could have been made. Now, all that said, you can't hire somebody else to like be you on a podcast, and right. you guys have this passion for it. Um, but if y'all are finding yourself spending a bunch of time, like let's say again with with the caveat that I don't necessarily love marketing, um, I don't do paid. I mostly just lose money on it. But for you guys, probably like geocaching or geofencing Columbia and saying. You know, how do we get people in Columbia who are Googling chiropractic care? They're wanting to educate. That There is a strategy there that needs to be done. Yeah. And if you guys are finding yourselves spending 6, 8, 10, 12 hours trying to self-educate on Facebook ads, like, don't do that. Do what I did when I found myself doing that and just spend that 6, 8, 10, 12 hours finding that perfect long-term partner who I now have. Happy to refer you guys to them. But Find that person because you know you're just you're going to overinvest your time on it. So it's right. a really it's a fine balancing act of build it or buy it. And if I'm buying it, and am I buying it through a W two or through a 1099 or through right. an agency with invoices? Is it one time? Is it long term? All those things are kind of in that decision wow. matrix. Yeah, yeah. Because when you were pumped, so your first business was the the shirt business. Is that mm. like, yep? And then to solve the the um, problem that created I guess heritage mm -hmm. what were what did you start exploring when you realized like all right I'm the I'm now the solution and I'm going to create mm -hmm. heritage as the yeah and actually that's a good way to describe that that journey that we've gone on from being sort of an enterprise level social media management agency which we still dabble in we're still very good at that um, but we're shifting our business from that uh, to just narrowing our focus down on leaders and public figures for executive visibility. And the reasons underneath all that were when we started doing that for other people, we were, um, I mean, the only way to do it and do it right, guys, is just spending a huge amount of time inside the platforms. Like, think about it this way. Facebook, Instagram, Meta, you know, they're in the business to make money. They make money by serving ads to users um, to be able to report successfully that those ads have been served to users, there needs to be a user who's actually engaging on the platform. Right. So always follow the money trail. We all know that, right? Um, and so what I saw in the three different agencies and one freelancer that I hired with Civi Supply, 
all of whom washed out after 90 days. I always give people 90 days. Yeah. Like, try it, see if it works. And it didn't. They did what we call post and ghost. I mean, they just kind of, you know, they showed me a really pretty little report in Hootsuite or right. Sprout or whatever else. And oh, we got this neat content. And sometimes they'd go and even help you make the content. Which looking at now, I'm like, I mean, those people were just, I mean, they were trading time for money in such a negative way. It just, yeah. And that's why you so often see people thinking, oh, I'll be a social media marketer. Because they know how to do it. If you got a phone in your pocket and you're under 40, like you know how to do it. Right. But it's impossible to scale. It's just going to be some kind of solopreneur, solo act. And if that's like helping that young mom like get through school or something, that's awesome. Right. Um, but it, it can create a value mismatch between the client and the service provider. Um, and it can amplify those missed expectations and unrealistic expectations. So we realized that the only way to grow a brand on social was to spend a huge amount of real human time in the account. That was one core component of it. So we, we literally had like over a dozen Wi-Fi only phones at our office for years that were just like the client account phones. Yeah. And we would have junior level employees, interns, just, hey, just get into that account. Here's your list of hashtags. Here's your list of geolocations. Here's your list of other uh, like avatar users that we want to check out their followers on. And we would just, we would just be in there. We just, just putting thumbs on screens. That's, that's what you had to do. Um, but that's only one part of it, right? right? Like you've got to be putting great content out and you've got to be engaging with the user base. Um, so we did that. We did it for a few years. I think it went um, well. We helped a number of companies and some e-com brands grow pretty significantly. Um, it was a rewarding journey in a lot of ways, but taking stock of everything over the last six to 12 months, you know, we were looking at some of our favorite people to work for and the people that we really thought had a story to tell that we could really help impact. And we kept coming back to, it's the um, public figure clients that we have. We've got some, some pretty major politicians that we work for. Um, some of whom, you know, folks locally would know. Um, and we had some leaders that we were working for and we just kept thinking, you know, I think it's helping business leaders and public figures improve their executive visibility through these channels that we've gotten really good at, that owned media on owned channels, which for us, typically podcasting, thought leadership, and book publishing. And um, we thought that all this work going down the river of like the ongoing, just day-to-day -day social content, communicating with people, it feels like it ought to end in like an ocean of something like where does this go right, right? back to my sort of I don't like long-term retainers nobody does at some point it starts to feel like a bill it's like where does this kind of land and end and I kept coming back to a book you know um, a book is again the ultimate signal of authority in our culture yeah um, and I wanted to be able to tell our clients hey this book like we're working on it and it's going to get published next quarter or next year or whatever it was and our clients wanted that too yeah. So a few months ago, I just started networking with publishers. I started, I just said, you know what, this is the journey that I'm going to go on. We've got a great team at my office. So I get to focus mostly on the like front of the ship, where are we headed? And they yeah. kind of focus on where are we now and where were we, you know? Um, and it all led to make a very long story short to us actually hiring um, a former VP of publishing from Forbes Books. So the Forbes Magazine business people. Nice. Um, and her first day was yesterday. So, yeah. uh, you know, we've now officially added, um, you know, book publishing to the stack. I wouldn't call us a publisher. Right. Heritage isn't a publisher, not yet at least. Um, but that's a really, that's going to be a really big part of what we're doing in the well, new year. Well, what I wondered about a book is like how long does that, is that book powerful for? So say like we produce a book uh, and it takes a year, it gets published one year from now. How long does that have, quote unquote, like clout or... You, you know, that you can continue to utilize that book. Is it like another year, two years? And I know it depends on how good the book is, of course, mm. but. Yeah. And there's, um, there's a really good specific to Bob's podcast episode about this. It's called the rungs on the ladder of lead generation. I think it was published in like August, 2020. So it would certainly point people to that if they wanted to kind of learn more about that. Um, but to answer that specific question, Tom, you know, 
we would really need to spend a, a long time, more time than we have today, just to figure out is a book even right for somebody? Because right. that is not a small expense. That's a huge amount of time. It's a huge outlay just to even do that. Right. Um, and sometimes you get people doing it, and it's just this kind of like glossy business card, and you're like, why did you do this, Mr. Power Washer? Right. You know? mm-hmm. um, but if for someone, if they think that it does make sense for them in their business, uh, it kind of just comes down to the person, how, yeah. how much they're willing to engage with that. So right. y'all mentioned Gary Vee and his whole idea of taking one piece of content and turning it into you know 12 or more right, things. Right. I think the book lays the groundwork for uh, projecting that expertise and amplifying that authority through public speaking, through conferences. A lot of conferences today won't even invite somebody to keynote or maybe even speak unless they are a published author. Um, so that's sort of even just kind of a, a foot in the door. Um, it can be something that is sent out to clients, sent out to prospects. It's something that a second season of a podcast can be built around. So I, I don't know if I'd you know, focus a first season if somebody's starting a show yeah. like on the book. But a second season could be you know interviewing people that make sense within this space. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I don't know. It's not a really clear answer, but it's it's sort of permanent for forever. Right. You know, uh, Tom Stetson, published author, that, right. that's forever. Uh, but it's also just sort of what are you willing to put into it? And that goes back to those three rings, time, value, passion, and prospects. If your prospects are an incredible fit for that big outlay of writing a book, you can run with that for longer than you would be if it was like, well, it's not really what my people really need, but I just want to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So then, and it, this is kind of like a three-part question, but mm. we started the podcast partially because we just wanted like a fun, creative outlet because mm. everything we were doing was just clinical. It wasn't, so we wanted this to be fun. And then also because people wanted to keep having meetings with us, so they would say, oh, you need to meet this person, you need to meet this person. So we, And it was just a hassle to say, when can we meet? Where are we going to meet? How long are we going to meet for? So we just created this thing where we said, and I don't think I've taken a single meeting in a year and a half mm. where someone says, oh, I want to meet with you. Great. Our podcast is at this time yeah, and Come I have to be gone by two. Or they'll say, oh, I have a person you really want to meet. Great. Ask them if they want to be on the podcast. Mm. And then they come on and then it's just set for an hour. It's a set time for us mm. every week and we always know when it's going to happen. So there was that. And now we've accomplished that and we're doing that. Mm. But then the first part of my question would be, how do we know if we should double down on this or mm. if we should just keep rolling with it and having fun and doing what we're doing? Because there's always the question of, do you focus on getting more people to listen to this and mm. hear this? And do we focus on spending more time getting guests or do we just keep getting guests that we we personally want to talk to and hang mm, out with? Totally. Um, and then the other side of that, that we did the same thing. So I did a book in 2014 and it was because it's called Fully Alive, but it was because I kept telling the same stories over and over and over again to every patient. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write them all down. Mm. When a person comes in, they're going to get this book and they can read it all. They'll know my whole story. They'll know me. They'll know why I do what I do. And it was kind of cool. So it was like a, mm. it was more like a bio. There's some testimonials, things like that, which, and that was cool. And then my wife was running into the same thing where she was getting nutrition questions over and over and over again. So ended up doing this, um, this cookbook, which is called, um, What's it called? Feast or family? Feast for the family. (laughs) Uh, Feast for the family. And it's good. And it's really good. So really a person, and it's a nice way because if a person comes up to and says to us, um, hey, I'm really interested in nutrition. Can you help me? She says to them, yep, read this book and then come ask me the questions about it. And then you find out pretty quickly if the person's willing to read the book, then we take their questions seriously. If the person says, no, I just want to waste your time and ask you things that I'm never going to implement, then... We don't do that. So we've also run into, now how much do we focus on that? Because we don't really know. Um, we know that there's a market for it, but we don't know mm. the time value of talking about a cookbook versus the time value of now, you know, chiropractic and helping a person in, in the clinic itself. Totally. Yeah, there's some good questions in there. And before I even try to answer any of them, I just want to point out how wise that was of, of, of you guys and your wife just to think through you know, this, you know, tire kickers are such a real thing. You know, I had somebody come in my office the other day, and I thought they were a pretty good prospect. I, I thought we were going to do some business together, and then it just, oh, my God, like, just a huge waste of time. Yep. Like, Panera sandwich times 10, you know, and yeah. I just thought, yep. man, Franklin, you, what a whiff, man. You really missed on that, you know. Um, and so 
while wanting to be an engaged member of the community and, and just be a nice guy, like life, life is short, like be a good dude. Right. right. Um, so I, of course we all have that in spades, but there's also that sort of, man, like, you know, I work about 50 hours a week and, and that's it. Other than that, it's hanging out with, you know, baby Frank and the wife. Um, so I appreciate that you guys used these types of content actually as almost like gatekeepers. What I would say is that the next layer to that is, and it depends on what people sell, but if you go deeper into that lane of thinking, you can start to get to a place where people want to pay you money who don't know you at all. So I've mentioned David C. Baker a few times in this conversation. Um, shout out to my boy. I love his work, right? Um, some friends of mine who run a branding agency are working with him right now. His, his key program is called the Total Business Reset. It's $26,000. He probably spends, I would have to guess, like less than a dozen hours with people who buy it. Um, so if you do the dollar for dollar, like, you know, value per hour that he's got on those customers, it's unbelievable. Um, he espouses a lot of the views that we espouse around content, book publishing, making yourself a visible expert within your space. And uh, I happen to know, I don't know if people are supposed to know this, but he has, I mean, nearly a thousand right fit prospects in his sales funnel that he just hasn't even touched. Like these are pre-qualified leads that have raised their hand to say, I want to buy your $26,000 yeah. program. Um, and so what I think is really incredible is I would, I myself would love to buy that program. Uh, and I've never met him. He doesn't know me. He's never met me. I've never talked to him. I don't know his people as we say in the South. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about this guy, but I have consumed enough of what he has to say that I believe that he's an expert and I want to give money to him. Right. So for you guys thinking about, you know, you've got this book, this podcast is a little different because I, I think what this podcast does is shows you all to be engaged members of the community yeah, yeah. and people who want to see your city be a healthier city, which it makes it better for everybody, right? There's a huge amount of social good behind that. Um, but you know, the fully alive book, like that would be something Randy that I would want to like dig into more deeply and say, is there, is there more behind that? Is there a way to get that out or use it in such a way that, you know, people engage with it and whatever else might be behind it. And they say, oh my gosh, like I have to be a client of this guy. And, and again, y'all's client mathematics are very different than a $26,000 thing. So we would want to just think that through a little bit more and say what's right for y'all in your business. Um, so that's just kind of some, some assorted thoughts around that, but to, to try to nail your question there, Randy, about, you know, do we double down on the podcast or do something else? Um, all comes back to business goals. So you guys have probably seen the Ted talk start with why yeah. um, Simon Sinek. It's awesome. And in the army, we always talk about backwards planning. Um, meaning where are we trying to go, which I think is the heart of that start with why, and then let's backwards plan from there. And the other cool thing that we talk about in the Army is the one-thirds, two-thirds rule. And that's one that I've, I haven't really heard a lot of people who have heard about that outside of the Army. Um, so I'll teach that and put that in you guys' toolbox today because it's an incredible way of thinking about planning uh, versus implementing. So in the Army, when we get given a mission, we are supposed to spend a third of the amount of available time for that mission just planning the mission. So that's one-thirds, two-thirds. So if you've got a week to get something done, like you really ought to be spending a day and a half or whatever it is to actually just plan that out before you start implementing it. And that's the other problem I see with a lot of smaller marketing agencies or solopreneurs. Uh, and there's a problem on the, the client side too because you guys hire somebody and they're nervous but also excited because the dog just caught the car and they're like, yeah, I got some money now. And you guys are like, oh, I'm spending some money, so I want to see some ROI, everybody's favorite phrase. And there's no planning, you know? Um, it's it's post-start tomorrow or, you know, right. you start delivering next week or whatever it is. And, and that just flies in the face of what the world's greatest leadership organization, the United States Army, has figured out over 250 years of doing this and doing it well, right? Right. Um, so when we're thinking about that question, do we double down on the pod? Do we do something else? I don't know if I have an answer without digging into sort of the mathematics of your business, your customer base, where do the prospects come from? How do we find them? How do we serve them? How do we keep them? Um, 
but but just make that white space. You right. know, make that white space for planning because the one thirds, two thirds is very powerful if you backwards plan and actually you know figure out re- ready aim fire, not ready fire <laughs> aim. You know, that's good. You have a lot of whiteboards at Heritage. Oh my God, I have three double-sided ones on wheels in my office nice. plus one huge one that stretches across the whole wall uh we've got a really old office uh, it was built in 1897 beautifully restored that was the litmus um, test tom, that, oh yeah tom keeps buying whiteboards that we have no space for. <laughs> buying whiteboard paint now to paint walls dude i love it i love me some whiteboards so your your whole journey is interesting to me. Just your your pathway. So you grew up in Lexington. Mm. You went. What made you decide to join the army or or Citadel? I guess Citadel is the entry point to the army. Yeah. So I actually um, I had a grandfather who went to West Point, and I really wanted. I don't, God knows why, but I really wanted to go to Princeton for some reason, and then I didn't get in, and I was really pissed about that. And so um, was it because why do you think you didn't get in? Grades? Uh, no, I, I my grades were awesome. My SAT was awesome. Volunteering, you, yep. you weren't volunteering yeah. enough. Yeah, it could have been that, you know. And then like in college, I, I wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar and a Truman and a Fulbright, and I got like into the red zone on all of those. All, never got into, the, you know, never got yeah. the TD. Right? It was just sort of like, <laughs> man, this sucks. So. Um, I don't know, but it, it didn't work out. And, you know, I used to, stuff like that used to really grind my gears. And I've gotten, you know, really zen. Um, if there's any readers of Old, Old Testament wisdom literature out there, you know, Ecclesiastes 11 talks about if a tree falls to the north or if it falls to the south, like where it falls is where it falls. And there was a thinker back in the 1600s named Matthew Henry who wrote about that. And he said, what that means is we're all called to do something of a great value wherever it is that we are. Right. And so I used to get really bent out of shape if my tree didn't fall in the place that I wanted it to. And it's been sort of a recent newer journey to say, man, like what am, what am I missing in this place that I'm in right now? What am I called to do right here? Um, and that speaks to abundance mentality and, 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 just, you know, trying to live with no fear, no shame. That's that's all just stuff that I get really hyped up about. Um, but weirdly enough, I had applied to get into West Point as well. And I got in. I got my congressional appointments, cool. uh, passed the academic test. I was so stoked. I was like, man, I can't believe I got in. But you have to take a PT test to like pull ups um, to, to fully do it. Yeah, pull ups, sit ups, yeah. all this stuff. I was a pretty fit guy, and I took a year off. I had my gap year, and I lived in D.C. I was an intern uh, in government up there, and then I went and lived in England for a little while. Got a little crazy. Um, came back, was in great shape, and I thought, I'm going to crush this PT test. I'm not worried about it at all. Practiced all the different events on it, but there was this one event called the basketball throw from the knees. I was like, what is dumb? Like, what even is that? I'm not even going to practice that because I can get on my knees and throw a basketball. It's not going to be a problem. Yeah. And um, the day came, and I went on down to Lexington High School and met up with the Army recruiter and took the test. And uh, I failed the basketball throw from the knees. I crushed everything, like everything. What is it? Like overhead? Like you're just Just forward, just on your knees, overhead throw on a basketball court as far as you can. And I think the minimum distance, I forget the exact foot count. It was something just for round numbers, like 50 feet or something. Yeah. I threw it 49 feet. Uh-huh. So I missed it by 12 inches, but all was not lost. They like the the guy up at West Point was said, "Hey, that's super weird, but don't worry about it. We authorized you for a retest, but the admissions window closes in 2 weeks. So like you have to do this retest within 2 weeks." I said, "Great. I'll schedule it for like tomorrow." And that night, I got sicker than I've been in my entire life. I I don't get sick. Yeah, it's not yeah. really a thing. I don't like being sick. Um, and I went to the doctor the next day and had walking pneumonia. Like my left lung was so full of gunk. It was, so he said bed rest, yada, yada. I was like, man, I'm not a quitter. I don't want to quit. So I still went on the last possible day of the retake window, still sick as hell. And I was like, I'm just going to take it anyway. I took it. This time I passed the basketball throw from the knees, but my runtime doubled because I couldn't breathe. (laughs) And then I told the West Point guy, I was like, can you like mix and match here, dude? And he was like, like, nah, I can't. Like, I'm so sorry. He said, you're in for next year if you want to wait a year. But, you know, at that point I was like, nah. So went to the Citadel, was very blessed to have a full ride down there. And um, so I I still went to school for free, but I didn't have to like go into the Army. So I actually left and went into the civilian world. I worked at a tech startup, um, did sales for them for a couple years, left and helped some other guys start another 
uh, sort of consumer finance company. So you just always were like into like entrepreneur stuff and like yeah. to be, because I was thought like, all right, you went to like design. Did you design the t-shirts or how did you come up with t-shirt design? Yeah, I sketch them. I them sketch them all out. Like really? I was an English major in school. I don't know how to use Adobe or anything, but I, I love. I'm just I'm very creative. Like visual, you know, yeah. very visually oriented. Um, I've always loved industrial design stuff like that and. So I just knew in my head what I wanted. I sketched it out, found a girl up in Vermont who did a lot of the early designs for me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's just been a crazy life. But I mean, I, you know, I love creativity. I love storytelling. I love business. I love entrepreneurship. I love creating economic value yeah. in communities. I think that's awesome. And I love leadership. Like those are the things that just did really you guys, get me going. Did you guys sell any tank tops in the? In the we did. You want one? I'll bring you one. Randy's a big tank. Depends on what color. Oh, Heather Gray, man. You know, kind of right. athletic uh, fit. Heather Gray, that super would soft. Look good on you. Yeah, yeah, man. We would love tank tops. Um, you know what else I was thinking though too when you were mentioning? Let me see my note here. Um, no, I can't even read my phrase. This is with Tom. This is with Tom. You got a lot of notes. Like. I'm impressed. I draw man. arrows. I circle. Then I cross that out. Is I'm like, good. Uh, um, from the t-shirt design, you went into what was the next thing? That was Heritage Brands. Here, so, oh, Street Heritage yeah, Brands. Yeah, I, I tried to kind of manage both for a little while, and then um, it was just too much. You know, you got to know when it's too much. So my brother, um, one of my best friends in the world, he was active duty Army. He was an infantry airborne ranger, super high-speed a guy. Um, he was at the Old Guard up in D.C., Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, that sort of thing. Um, and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to transition to national guard. Like I'm moving back home. Let me run the business. Cool. So he runs civvy spot a day and under his leadership, it's just grown tremendously. Sweet. He's gotten it officially licensed by the U S army, Navy, air force, space force, Marine Corps is coming soon. Um, and you know, we're sold in, I guess a couple dozen military museums all over the country. Now you can wow. buy it at Pearl Harbor, buy it in, I don't even know where, all over the place. So it's it's really cool. He's doing some yeah. awesome stuff with it. Yeah, can you spell it so that people know? Yeah, yeah. So Civvy Supply is C-I-V-V-I-E-S-U-P-P-L-Y Supply. It's like civilian clothes. Um, when did you meet your wife during all this? Well, I put too much stuff into too small of amount of time, as you yeah. guys can tell. So happily, I met her when we were 15. So oh, she was early on. Lexington girl. Oh, yeah. Well, she was an easily girl from the upstate. Uh -huh. And we oh. met at a camp. And then our families kind of got to know each other. Um, she went to school down here and uh, just stayed close with my family. And, yeah. you know, we'd always kind of known each other, but hadn't ever been super close. And then I was down here one day and uh, dropped by my parents' house for like an after church lunch or something. Wasn't, wasn't planned or anything. She was there. And I was like, man, Franklin, what have you been like missing here? You know, <laughs> let's go. And so I told her, I said, hey, I've got to be in town on business this week. You know, you want to go get lunch? No business that week at all. But she said, oh, sure, let's do it. So I walked out of that lunch. Where, where'd we go? Um, Cantina 76 yeah. on Main Street. And we were there for three and a half hours. And I walked out of there and was like calling my jewelry lady. I was like, all right, I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, it was awesome. I produced some T-shirts in my day, but most of them just have my face on them. Oh, let's with go. Golf ball. I've done some golf balls. Nobody's buying them. I'm purchasing them and sending them to my friends. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. And then Brad has a crush on me. He's hung this uh, autograph photo of me up oh, here. So man. I, well, I thought that was going to be mine for being on the show. I get an autograph photo, right? Yeah, we need yeah, it. Yeah. You know what we should do is get – we should have the faces print of everybody. When they come in, we like autograph them, make like a little – plaque or something. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's like one of those touristy restaurants <laughs> yes. down in Charleston. You know, it's like we had this you know, B-list celebrity here one time. I they ate at this table. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. So, t and then, kind of in closing here, tell us what's next on the docket for you. Or is this is this where you're at right now? Yeah this this is where I'm at. So so 2023 for me, I, I get very introspective um, at the end of the year, and uh, for me, it's just next year is a year of focus of saying, you know, I've always been very obsessed with opportunity. I, th I think probably entrepreneurial people are wired to be really yeah. obsessed with opportunity, but I've been challenged to be more obsessed with success than with opportunity because there's just all we're surrounded by opportunity and that's great. And it's always going to be out there, but I really want to lean into 
just getting a thousand miles deep in this one place and creating the best possible version of this that I can and just going all in on that and picking up my head in 10 years and seeing where it took me. Good, good stuff. And then anyone who you can think of who sh we should have on the podcast, someone that you think is really interesting or in the Columbia area that we should highlight? Yeah, um, I would say you might want to talk to God, I'm thinking my brothers come up in this, uh, Johnny Matthews, um, our VP of operations has come up. He was signed to Atlantic records at one point, toured 250 nights out of the year, ran a recording studio in LA, started a recording label. He's an awesome guy. I get to spend every day with him and I love it. Um, but thinking of people outside of like my very, very immediate orbit, uh, I know on this show, I mentioned my friend in branding, her name's Christine McFadden. She is a partner in Devote Studio. Um, they're actually out of Birmingham. It's a very large, very successful, very highly skilled branding company. Um, but they have an office on Divine Street and she runs the local office really? and she's just one of the most brilliant people with branding. I mean, you know, we don't do branding at Heritage Brands. Like we we do the specific part that we do of helping clarify positioning, amplify executive visibility. Um, but I'm hoping that they'll do a full rebrand of, of the actual, you know, visual identity of our brand in the new year. Yeah. Cool. Um, and if anybody's ever looking for that, they're just tremendous. Yeah. So. Cool. Nice. And then if someone wants to reach out to you, if they're a business owner listening to this, what, how do they do that? What's the best way? Yeah, I would suggest LinkedIn. Um, I can, I've been told that I can sometimes be a little bit hard to get a hold of. So <laughs> ping me twice. If I don't respond the first time, it's not a big deal. I just got a few things on my plate. Um, but LinkedIn and, uh, that's the place where I'm going to be focusing in the new year on doing more of my own publishing, uh, trying to take a lot of this stuff that we've learned and, and put it out there for people. So I have at least two or three articles pinned currently, but one of them is titled How to Think About Thought Leadership. And a few of these podcasts and books and things that we've talked about are linked in there. Um, so that's a great place to start if people cool. are looking to learn about all this. That's great stuff. All right. Well, thank you for being on. We appreciate your time. Hey, thank you guys for your time. Yeah. And thanks for doing this. This is awesome. Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it. 